Oh, children are dismissed for, for kids, kids' school, kids' club. Wouldn't it be nice? Oh, we'll get the first. We'll get. Move it up. All right. Always something with me and my microphone. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome. All right. So, don't don't we all have past memories that we we wish we could forget? Maybe not entirely, but maybe the pain that that has come along with them. Uh, if you guys have ever been to it at a campfire and the topic of scars that have come up, I'm sure a few guys and girls have a pretty fun stories about a scar from their past. You just say, hey, what's your favorite scar? And someone's sure to tell a funny story, something along those lines. And, and these stories can be good and, and fun-hearted, but I think we also have emotional scars that don't leave us. There are things that happen in our past that just hurt us and they linger and they fester. And so I was thinking about these scars that we have in our past, thinking of things that maybe, maybe it's a divorce, maybe it's a betrayal, and we have these different things in our lives, maybe a song or, or a, a location that brings this back up. And it reemerges all these sad emotions, all these negative fears. These emotions sometimes, unfortunately, control us. And so we're, we're going to be talking about those today. And so if you've been or haven't been with us the past number of weeks, we've been learning about a man named Joseph. Now, Joseph's a, a fun character in the Bible. He, um, he was the great-grandson of Abraham. If you remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is Jacob's um, second the youngest son. Jake, Joseph was his father's favorite, which was nice for a little bit until his brothers started to hate him for it. His brothers threw him into a pit, sold him into slavery. While a slave to a man named Potiphar, Potiphar's wife accused him of rape. This sent him to prison. While in prison, he got to meet the cupbearer, the pharaoh's cupbearer who was sent to prison for a little while. He helped interpret one of his dreams, and because of that, he formed a relationship. And then the cupbearer said, hey, when I get out of here, I'm going to tell the pharaoh about you. But cupbearer gets out, totally forgets about Mr. Joseph. Stays another two years in prison. And so what we have with Joseph is he spends about 13 years with, uh, as a result of his brothers betraying him, throwing him into a pit. And so you can imagine if we put ourselves in his shoes, he had a little bit of probably anger swelling up in him, a little bit of maybe even jealousy of other people's freedoms. He's been falsely accused. He probably even has trust issues at this point. Um, probably a lot of despair, a lot of longings. So put yourself in his shoes. When was the time that you've been betrayed, that you've been maybe manipulated, that you've been thrown into a metaphorical pit? What are some of the emotions that we have that come along with that? Maybe it's sadness. Maybe it's fear of the unknown. And so I ask us, what does God want us to do in these times? What does God want us to do with these emotional scars, these emotional paths that just keep holding on to us, and we don't even want them there anymore? What's God's role in all this, and how are we to move on? And so to answer these questions, we're going to look at the life of Joseph. And so if you were just with us last week, we learned that the cupbearer, after two years, finally remembers Joseph, tells Pharaoh about Joseph. Joseph helps 
interpret one of Pharaoh's dreams, which then in hand makes Joseph somehow the second in command over the entire nation of Egypt. So he gets rise right out of prison to second in command. It's this incredible story of the street rat, street rat becoming like a Prince Ali. And it's incredible. And we can, we can imagine that this is not normal at this time. That someone who's in prison becomes royalty. And, and this is even more bizarre when we learn that um, and we remember that a, or Joseph was this person called a sojourner. And a sojourner, we might have heard this word before, but it means they have left their family and they are traveling. Basically what it means. And for us, that, that means a little bit. But at this time, when you have left your family, you've left all the rights that you have. So at this point, if you get in trouble, the cops are coming to help you out. It has to be your family. Your family is the only ones there for you in times of need, in times of distress. Joseph's entire family are soldiers, and then he's been betrayed by them. So he is a nobody. Pharaoh could have easily thrown him right back into prison, could have made him his personal slave, but no. He rises him to second in command. And so what we can understand from this is that maybe he doesn't have a family around, but he has his God, and he relies on God through it all. And that was the role of the sojourner at this time. They only had God to rely on, and that's what Joseph does. He relies on God, so we see that him, him moving up in, in royalty was nothing other than an act of God. And at this time, we would probably assume Joseph's feeling pretty all right. He's probably on cloud nine in some ways. Like when past problems happen, and then good things happen. It always fixes things, right? Like if your puppy dies and I give you a new puppy, it makes it all better, right? Not so much, not so much. And so we, we can imagine that Joseph still has a lot of these past hurts. Just because he has a new life doesn't mean the past pains are gone. Just because we have a new life in Christ doesn't mean the past sins won't come back to haunt us. But a lot, but. God will give us the tools to overcome them. So in the text this morning, and we'll be in Genesis 41, 51, and 52. So it's just two verses. I don't have the page number, but it's about 43 or something like that if you're already there. Um, as we jump into this, we're going to be learning about Joseph. And I, I want you to maybe own up to some of these past issues that you might have. What's something that's lingering with you? Maybe it, it, it's a breakup. Maybe it's someone cheated you. Maybe it's a betrayal. Maybe it's some place in your life that there hasn't been forgiveness given. Maybe it's a death in a family, and it keeps haunting you and haunting you and haunting you. I want us to own up to those today, because if we can't own up to what our past issues are, then they're going to continue to haunt us, and that's going to hinder our relationship with one God, two other people, and even ourselves. And if we can't overcome them, then we are going to be plateaued in our spiritual walk. So with that, let us now prepare our hearts and minds for the reading of God's word. Genesis 41, 51 through 52. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So in this text, we see Joseph name his children. Isn't that exciting? How many of you read this this morning for the devo- your morning devotional and were like, yeah! Manasseh and Ephraim. You're just all about it. Well, 
We probably aren't, because naming is pretty arbitrary. When you, you've named a child, you probably may have went on babynames.com, found something that meant like warrior, and named your, your, your son that. I don't know. But um, at this time, naming and names were a big deal. In the words of Donald Trump, they were huge. <laughs> huge, huge. They were, they were a big deal. They, they would have been thoroughly thought out and even thought-provoking. They were a statement that is made. Okay, and so when, when he names his, his children, it could mean one of two things. And so, baby names. One reason you name your child one thing is because it is a judgment of character. So if we remember Isaac and Jacob, um, Isaac named his son Jacob because Jacob was literally grabbing the heel of his brother Esau when he was coming out of the womb. So the name Jacob means heel grabber. So it literally, it's a judgment of character. He also became a trickster. He was grabbing people's heels and tricking them, metaphorically. It could also mean a prayer or a hope. And so in the first century, a lot of mommies and daddies named their children Jesus. Because Jesus means God will save his people. And everyone loved that idea. So there were many little Jesuses running around. And so I think this is what we're doing here, what we see here with Joseph. We see that Joseph is naming his children Manasseh and Ephraim. And I think this is a hope and a prayer for the future. I think he's looking forward and saying, I'm going to name you this because this is what I'm hoping for. This is what I am praying for. He is also, as I said, making a political statement. If you're familiar with with the Bible and marriage laws, Israelites were not allowed to marry non-Israelites. Not because they were racist or because these people were bad, but because they were of a foreign religion. And whenever an Israelite married with a non-Israelite, the Israelite, they, they were kind of weak, and they would always falter to the other religion or add on to their religion like an accessory. And so an Israelite would no longer be, be an Israelite if they married a foreigner. But we don't see that happening here with Joseph. We see Joseph remain firm. See, Joseph married um, the daughter of a man named Potiphar. He was the priest of On. I don't really know who On is, but he married this man's daughter. And so he married a priest's daughter, so I'm sure the temptation was strong for him to convert to another religion, but he doesn't. And we can see that because Ephraim and Manasseh are Hebrew names. And what this tells us is that he stays firm to his faith in God. Even though he might have many doubts and he might have prayed, God, why do you have me here? Many, many times. We see it now at this point. He, he names his children Hebrew names in all the adversity and he stays faithful to God. And this was a big deal. And he possibly was exclaiming to all the people, hey, I'm not an Egyptian. I am an, a Hebrew Israelite. And he, this might be a statement to all the people and also his wife. And so now let's, let's take a moment and look at what these names mean specifically and work from there. So verse 51 again. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. So Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh because Joseph wanted to forget. Now, he forgets. But it's not that he like accidentally forgets, if that makes sense. It's, it's a purposeful forgetting. So if, if we went up to Joseph, if we had a time machine, brought Joseph back and said, Hey, Joseph, tell us about your family. He could probably tell us about his family. It wasn't that he's like, what? I had a family? It wasn't, wasn't like that. It was that he wanted to set that memory aside. 
that he wanted to set that pain that's associated with his family aside. And he, he names his firstborn Manasseh, just like how sometimes we might put reminders up in our household or tie a, a string around our finger. He wants to remember this. He wants to continually, every time he says, hey Manasseh, he wants to remember, oh yeah, I need to set my family, all that pain, I want to set that aside. That's what he wants to do here. So I don't believe he, he, he forgot his literal family, but he's trying to forget the pain that they have caused him. And so Joseph's plea and hope and prayer to God continues in verse 52. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So Joseph named his secondborn Ephraim because Joseph realized that he was fruitful. And so like Manasseh, he wanted to remember something. He wanted to, to look around and see all of the blessings God has blessed him with around so it, it's somewhat like the situation of me giving you a dog after your dog dies. So it's not that extreme, but it's him looking around and saying, okay, God, you have brought me here. You have brought me to a point in my life where I, there's blessings around me, and I, I want to rejoice in what you have given me. And so that, that's what he's doing here. He's not negating the, the past. He's not trying to put a mask behind that, but he's trying to focus on the future. And so with Manasseh, Joseph was saying, I'm not going to focus on this. And with Ephraim, he says, I am going to focus on this. Something we should always do when reading Scripture. If you're ever reading Scripture, this is something you should always do. You should pinpoint and find the character of God. Who is God in all of this? If God is our creator, then if, the more we know about him, the better off we are. And so, a general theme in Scripture is that God tells us that someday, in, in the future, we are going to be with Him in the new heavens and new earth, and it is going to be so grand, so majestic, so joyous and bliss, that the pains of this path, of this life, will pale in comparison to the future glory that He has in store for us. And I think we see a little bit of a foretaste of that here with Joseph. In, in the story of Joseph, you have him in this Pretty hard knocks life. He's betrayed. He's cheated. He's misguided. But then he's taken to a place that he, he has royalty. That he gets to have whatever he wants. That he can enjoy all things. And that's sort of the picture that we also have as Christians. That God has taken us to this new heavens and new earth. Heaven. And it's going to be full of this joy, full of this bliss. That the pains of our past life won't even, even come up. And so knowing this, knowing this, what do we see from God? After all that understanding, what do we see with God? Well, we see that God is redemptive. That our God takes great pleasure in seeing us redeemed. He sees great pleasure in seeing us flourish. Seeing us overcome all things in his majesty. See, God is not happy. I'll say that, when, when we are suffering, when we're in pain. But he takes great joy when we overcome in his name. Because he's going to be beside us and he's going to be with us. He didn't create us just to get by. He created us to flourish. He created us to do good works. And so God's role is redemptive. I think sometimes we need to sit on that. We kind of just need to rest in knowing that God is redemptive. That God is overcoming all things for our sake. And that's sometimes hard for us to understand when we're 
in the dirt when we're having a hard time. But know that God is in there with you, and when you go through hard times, that God is beside you in that. What, what Joseph seems to realize here, and sometimes that we don't, is that obstacles and problems are not a, a diversion, not an obstacle to the plan of God. So, so obstacles are not obstacles to the plan of God. It actually means God's there. God is with you. When hard times come up, that doesn't mean you're outside of the plan of God. That probably actually means you're there. And God is with you in that time. And I think Joseph realized this. Through every step and every turn of his life, problems keep coming up left and right and left and right and up and down. And sometimes that, that's our life. And sometimes we think God has left us in those times. But we need to understand that that means he's with us. That he is working in us. His goal for us is not to own Mercedes Benzes. That's not his dream for us. He's not, that's not what I mean by overcome. He wants to see us grow in faithfulness. He wants to see us grow in our trust of him. And so through all things, he's going to work that for the good of our sanctification, of our holiness. So understanding this character of God, that God is redemptive, that he sees us, that he loves us, that he cares for us. I believe this is what got Joseph through all things. I think that's what should get us through all of our difficulties as well. So what, what does this look like? What does this look like on a day-to-day basis? Well, so our healing can begin when we deal with our past hurts. And so I ask you, how heavy is this cup? How much does it weigh? You don't really know. Maybe this cup. What do you guys think the weight is of this cup? So the absolute, like, grams, pounds, it doesn't matter so much. What, what truly matters is how long I hold it. If I hold it for about five minutes, I'm going to do all right. I went to the gym a few weeks ago. I can hold a cup for about five minutes. I hold it for an hour. It's, my arm's going to start feeling a little sore. I hold it for a day, for a month. My arm's going to feel paralyzed by the end of this. The, the actual grammage of this cup has not changed. But it's gotten so heavy I can't even hold it any longer. So a lot of the times we do this with our worries, with our stresses, with our past emotional scars. Even though, yeah, they, they might be tiny and they're not, not a big deal. We hold on to these cups. We hold on to these emotional scars for so long that it doesn't matter if it's a small thing. We hold it for so long that it becomes so burdensome that we become pa- paralyzed. We become incapable of doing anything. And what we need to do as a Christian community is set our cups down we, we need to deal with these pastors by setting our cups down, by letting them go and giving them to God. What, what I've observed is that as American Westerners, we love our cups. We love them. We hold on to these things. See, what, what I've seen is that we hoard our past hurts and we lie that we even do it. We, we come through, through the door Sunday morning and we have these cups but we don't let anyone see. We try to hide them. We come in here with smiley faces a lot of the time, and we like to pretend that everything's all right. I know, I, I've been there. We, we come in just pretending. We lie. We're not dealing with these past hurts. And so what we're really doing is that we, we have the, our cups. We get a little 
private. And what we end up doing is putting on this mask. We try to pretend who we really are. And I bet many of us are in this category today. Many of us come in thinking, all right, time for church, got to smile. But so many of us weren't acting probably very Christian on the car ride here even. Many of us probably had problems this morning, maybe last night. And I'm not saying those, that's a bad thing. But I'm saying as a Christian community, we need to be willing to enter into this mess. Um, it will get messy, yes. If we're all open with one another, we're going to be here a long time. Um, we're we're going to have a, a big mess to clean up eventually. But if we're going to be a Christian community, we have to be willing to get messy together. We have to be willing to get in the dirt. Because that's what God did. God did that for us. And so we need to be, be living like God and being getting messy with one another. And I think it's funny because this is, if you look at any statistic, if you look at any poll, when people ask, hey, what's the first thing you think of when you think of Christians? People are pretty quick. You know what they say? They say hypocrites. People just know that look, we fake it. And I think we know we fake it too, but we don't think anyone else does. We think everyone else is, man, I wish I was happy at, as happy as them. They always have everything together. But see, it, it, it's not a sin to not have your act together. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that wonderful? It's not a sin not to have our act together. But it, it is a sin to pretend that we do. It is a sin to lie. To pretend that we have everything going all right. And I know sometimes it seems more intimidating and difficult to enter into the healing process than it is just to hide. But I want this to be a safe place for that. I want this, went, went through small groups that we do, through Sunday school, through just church service, through coffee time. I want this to be an open time that if someone asks you, hey, how are you doing? We can honestly say, not so great. But it, 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 so it's okay not to be okay. It's also okay to be okay. I want people always to realize that. There was a, a phrase a number of years ago that was, hey, it's okay not to be okay. But it is okay to be okay as well. So don't worry if you feel like, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. Well, it, that's okay too. Um, but we, we also need to face up to what, is, what we are dealing with. And so the, the, the second principle to overcoming past hurts is to have an attitude of gratitude. See, Joseph recognized the good things that were around him. He was able to set his past aside and focus on the present. He was able to be great, uh, thankful for all those things that were around him. Because a lot of the times, whenever bad things happen, we get stuck in the past. We don't like to look at what's around us, what God is currently doing. We just like to look back and say, God, why did you do this? When he's saying, look what I'm doing. And sometimes we need to just open our eyes to what's around us now and being thankful for what God has brought forth to us. The third principle I have for us today is for overcoming past hurts, we need to make God central to the process. And so with Joseph, with the naming of his children, we see that he keeps God in the forefront. He says, with God, I have forgotten. He says, with God, I am fruitful. And so with God, we can overcome. With God, we can rise up from our ashes and do make something of ourselves. And it is only with God that this is possible. And I want to emphasize that this isn't making God step three. I tried not, not to make steps here, because if, if, if God stepped three, then we failed. Because God needs to be interwoven into this entire process. If we, aren't treat, if we haven't interwoven God into every aspect and sphere of our existence, then we aren't treating him as God. 
God needs to be God in our life. So making God central to the process is almost more of a reminder that God needed to be in step one and in step two. He needs to be all around and all in between, up and down, here and there. We can't just add him on as, a, as an accessory because if, if all we do is set aside our past hurts, acknowledge them, set them aside, and are thankful for what's around us, all we're going to do is start pretending more sophisticatedly. We're going to start pretending that we're doing all right by just focusing in on the now and never finding true resolution of what, what has happened. And, and like I said before, we aren't here to be hypocrites. We know that. But we're, we're here because we're tired of being them. We're tired of be, being fake. And so to find this true resolution, we need to give it up to God. We need to throw our pastors onto God, give him our cares, give him our anxieties. Because scripture says, because he cares for you. Once again, scripture tells us that when we are in eternity with him, that it is going to be so wonderful, so awe-inspiring, that it's going to make the past pains pale in comparison to what is to come. Charles Spurgeon, in whom I have named my dog after, would say that you should envision every scripture passage like a little village, like a little town. And then when you go into this passage, when you go into the town, first thing you need to do is find Main Street. What's the main point of this town? What's the main point of this passage? And when, what, what we've seen so far in, in, this, in these, just these two verses is that the main point is about Joseph overcoming past hurts. And so once you find this main street, you need to find the quickest possible route to Jesus. So you have to figure, is it exit one, exit two, alleyway seven? You have to find whichever way to Jesus you possibly can get. And so knowing that this main point is overcoming past hurts, where do we get Jesus here? Where do we see Jesus overcoming hurts? So the gospel is that God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, to earth to live a perfect life on our behalf. And then to die on the cross. God the Father had to watch his son get whipped, get battered, get bruised, get his skin basically peeled off of him and then hung on a cross. All for the sake of the people that have put him on that cross. God had to go through this pain. And so for the first time when Jesus dies, when God dies, the first time in all of eternity, the Trinity, the Godhead, the three in one, is separated. So think of the most intimate relationship you've ever had, being crushed, being torn apart. God turns his back on Jesus Christ. And for the first time, there is a breakup with the Godhead. And this is the greatest pain that the world has ever known. Yet in only three days, God reverses it. In only three days, God overcomes the greatest pain in the history of the world. And if God can do that, if God can overcome the cross, if he can make the cross something that we look, look at, like, this is, this is a torture device, but God has overcome it. And he has healed that pain with the resurrection. If he can do that in as little as three days, then what can't he do for us? What can't he do in our lives? 
And he's going to do something incredible, and we're going to have all eternity to thank him for it. And it's going to be wonderful. So as we look at Joseph's story, we see that it's a lot like our own. We've all had rough paths. We've all been hurt. We've all been betrayed. But God's going to be there. He's going to, he wants to see us be redeemed. He wants, us to, he wants to see us overcome. He says, I have not come to just give us just making it by kind of life. He wants to see us live a life abundantly, a life fulfilled. And so, with God in the process, we can have, maybe for the first time, true resolution of our past issues. We can finally come to Jesus because he is our avenger. He is our healer. He is, he is the one who sees us and cares for us. So as we end today, we're going to end playing a song. And so while we, while we play this song, we just want to make it a time for you to maybe bring up these past issues, to identify them in your life, and pray to God that he can take them away. We also pray that during this time that those of you who have been hand- dealing with your past issues, maybe for the past 20, 30 years, maybe for the past seven weeks even, maybe you can pray this time, we can pray for you, that God can help you overcome these past hurts. God is going to do things with these past hurts, and he doesn't want you to just overcome them. He doesn't want you to just simply forget about it. He's going to use these past hurts in you to make you something better to make you the people that he has called you to be. And like I said, we'll have all eternity to thank him for. So.
Father God. Your blood does cover us. You give us grace upon grace, Lord. You empower us to overcome. God, we are overwhelmed by you sometimes. And what you prepared, have prepared for us, Lord God. God, we pray that we can hand over our past pains to you, knowing that you are a good God, and that you love us, and that you, you know what's best for us. So God, we pray that we can continue to walk in our faith, to grow closer to you and grow closer to one another as a community of saints, Lord. God, continue guiding us and teaching us. Let us not forget your gospel. In your name, amen. Thank you.